Captain's Log Supplemental. It is with great pride that I report Chief Engineer Lieutenant Commander Skiffy has been transferred and for all intents and purposes promoted to the research and development facility at Jupiter Station. Skiffy's ability to fix the unfixable is only part of his impressive repertoire. He's also a world-class fabricator and hasn't gone unnoticed. Skiffy was a good officer and a better friend and one of the best damned engineers I've had the privilege of serving with. We're losing a good man. Today, however, we meet our new chief engineer, Lieutenant Commander Elliot Tan. He comes highly recommended by one of Starfleet's best captains and one of my dearest friends, Captain Thomas Maroney. We're set to rendezvous with the USS Pathfinder shortly. I'm eager to meet my newest senior staff member and have a couple of uh, drinks with an old friend. And not only did he have on her pants, he tried to deny the whole thing. <laughs> Come on, Thomas. Excuse me, Captain Maroney. This is no place to spout rumor and innuendo. Both the Admiral's daughter and her roommate deny me ever being there. And even though I'm not welcome in the good Admiral's home, no formal complaint has ever been filed. It was a simple misunderstanding that ended up becoming uh, some story for cadets to gossip about. Legend may not be the most appropriate term, but the event has become well-known among many in Starfleet. <laughs> Even Vulcans are gossiping about the great Elijah Leandros. Captain Maroney, Vulcans do not gossip. <laughs> if it looks like gossip and it sounds like gossip, it's probably gossip. Okay, okay, I'm not the only Starfleet captain with a reputation. Who's the one who goes to all the parties? How about the time you challenged those inebriated Klingons to a dance-off? Listen, that's on them. They were barking lousy Klingon songs all night. Can't have music without dance, so party rules. Besides, you forgot to mention the most important part. They forfeited. They forfeited? More accurately, they didn't participate. Actually, they beat your ass. Klingons don't lose gracefully. <laughs> oh, no. It wasn't the Klingons. Uh, well, you try starting the worm from a standing position. The worm? Bridge to Captain Leandros. Go ahead, Commander Metricon. Lieutenant Commander Elliot Tan is requesting permission to come aboard, sir. Received. We'll meet him in transporter room two. Commander, Doctor, I'll see you on the bridge. Captain Maroney, it was a pleasure. The pleasure was mine, Doctor. Commander Pintad. Goodbye, Captain. So, anything else I should know about Commander Tan, Tom? Uh, you have his dossier and my recommendation. Just make sure you brush up on your rules and regs. He knows them all. Can't wait to meet him. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Welcome to Priority One, and now your hosts, 
Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 206 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded live on Thursday, January 22nd, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, January 26th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. So what do we have in store this week, Cookie? This week, we check out an interesting development on the third installment of the Star Trek movie reboot. In Star Trek Online news, the blogs keep churning out as we draw nearer to the fifth anniversary event for Star Trek Online. We've got secondary deflectors, updates to the story arc in STO, and a few other updates to be aware of. Later, we're joined by UI artist Thomas Maroney to share more insight on the changes to the icons in-game and the new UI for DOF development. Then, of course, before we wrap the show, we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. So we've begun recording our episodes live on PriorityOnePodcast.com on Thursday nights. The time we start usually fluctuates from week to week, but generally you'll catch us on air around 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, around that time. But if you can't make it to the live recordings to catch all the shenanigans, well... We have a way for you to get your hands on the live, unedited ramblings of the Priority One podcast crew. Patreon, like other crowdfunding sites, is designed to give fans of a project the opportunity to support creators like us. But instead of just a one-time donation, Patreon allows you to contribute monthly to your creation of choice. For example, by donating $10 a month, or about $2.50 per episode, you'll have access to those live, unedited recordings that Elijah was talking about moments ago. But we have other tiers for donations, starting from $1 per episode and up. So check us out on patreon.com forward slash priority one, and consider supporting Priority One Podcast on a monthly recurring basis. And even if you haven't donated or simply cannot, you can still show your support by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions tweets, Facebook messages, in-game chats. They lift our spirits when we get to engage with you. So even if you're a long-time listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, or in-game, however you can reach us. Speaking of non-financial ways of supporting us, all right, Admirals, attention on deck. The 10th Annual Podcast Awards have begun. And from now until February 2nd, you'll have the chance to nominate Priority One Podcast for Best Produced and Best Gaming Podcast. You can only fill out the form once, so be sure to include Priority One Podcast and our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, in both categories. And should we be nominated again this year, thanks to you, you'll then need to vote for us once a day, every day. But we'll get to that in a few weeks. First, we gotta earn the nomination. And you got us there last year, we can do it again this year. Please, Admirals, we need your help to bring this award home this year. Nominate us now, then prepare to vote for us once a day, every day. Let's show the podcast community that Priority One Podcast is the best darn produced Star Trek gaming show out there. And it would make me really happy to win. Now let's check out the latest developments on the third installment of the Star Trek movie reboot. Then let's trek it out. In general Star Trek franchise news this week, we've had some developments on the third installment of the Star Trek movie reboot. So last we heard, Fast and the Furious director Justin Lin is now at the helm to direct the third film. Although Lin is no stranger to action, this would be his first science fiction project. 
And just this last week, it was announced that Simon Pegg, aka Scotty, is teaming up with Doug June to write the third film. Now, this isn't Pegg's first time writing for the big screen. Together with Edgar Wright, he co-wrote Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Jung, on the other hand, has worked mainly in television, creating the TNT series Dark Blue about an undercover cop. Now, Simon Pegg is probably the biggest Trekkie, maybe next to Carl Urban. And although this isn't the first time we've had an actor take a more creative role in Star Trek, Nimoy, Shatner, Frakes have each made their mark in the creative direction of Star Trek, I don't know how I feel about Pegg taking on this role as co-creator. What about, what, what about you guys? I think it's funny because Nimoy, when he took a, a stab at um, writing and directing, he, who I didn't picture as that type of person, made a comedy. So maybe it'll be the reverse and uh, it'll be a super serious, hard sci-fi script by Peg. I don't know. Some of my favorite lines in that first movie was from him. You eat like a bean and you're done. <laughs> it's like, what if the whole movie was like that? That would be awesome. <laughs> Well, you see, that's that's what I'm I'm concerned about is if if the whole movie would be like that. His films, like Shaun of the Dead, are they're great films. Their cult classics are by their nature almost like guilty pleasures, you know. Oftentimes, being so bad that they're great type films. Now, I'm not saying that Shaun of the Dead was bad by any means, but the film, like Hot Fuzz and others, are more like a like a fun trip to an amusement park rather than than thought provoking. Now, I'm not saying that Star Trek has to be all serious, because some of the best Trek films and episodes have great humor. But there is a level of matter-of-factness to the franchise that I'm afraid might get lost in Simon Pegg's humor. And that the whole film would be nothing but, you eat like a bean, and then you're done. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I watch his films because I know that I don't have to think very much, but I'm still entertained. Ultimately, at this point, what the heck is going on at Paramount. We're less than 18 months away from the scheduled release, and they just finally settled on a director and writers. And there still isn't even a script that we know of. There's an article that was published on the Huffington Post that I stole from Dr. Robert Hurt's Facebook feed that really sums up some of the frustrations with how the franchise is being handled. Now, I don't know much about Doctor Who, But man, I can't stop hearing about that franchise and how they've celebrated their 50th and how awesome it was. And the Huffington Post also points to the James Bond franchise and Skyfall, which was a killer movie, by the way. It also compares Paramount to handling the franchise to Marvel. And you know what? Everyone compares everything to Marvel's cinematic universe. And rightfully so. There's no doubt that Marvel loves money and any corporation does. But they don't act that way. They act smart. Paramount, I don't see smart. I see scrambling. And we're coming up on the 50th anniversary. Anywho, let us know what you think of Simon Pegg co-writing Star Trek by answering this week's first community question. Do you think he'll give us the best film of the reboot? Or do you think we're going to get a movie with action, humor, and very little philosophy? Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you would like us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Admirals, for starters, the anniversary event is scheduled to hit holodeck on January 29th, this coming Thursday. 
according to the events calendar on Tribble, and via a confirmation from Captain Smirk during his lunchtime live streams. Additionally, players can look forward to a revisit from Q, new party poppers, and a new lockbox and new missions featuring special voice talent. Keep in mind, Admiral, starting today, Monday, January 26th, through Thursday, January 29th, Star Trek Online will be giving away free Sea Star items once every 24 hours as a gift to players to celebrate their five year anniversary. We won't know what they will be until the day of, so keep a lookout for these items in the Sea Store. But wait, there's more. As part of the fifth anniversary event and update, we also have what many captains have been waiting for in the form of secondary deflectors. Yes, that's right. They are getting added to pretty much every existing science ship. None of the science carriers will receive a secondary deflector slot, but all of your science vessels will now have this new slot. Similar to what you've seen on the Dyson Science Destroyer, you will now have an additional item slot where you can slot a secondary deflector. There's gonna be three basic types, deteriorating, inhibiting, and resonating. Each gives a bonus to a certain subset of your science boff skills. Basic breakdown, deteriorating is gonna affect abilities that debuff your target, and it's gonna add a radiation damage over time effect. So if you're using things like energy siphon, viral matrix, tachyon beam, and so on. Inhibiting deflector will add a bonus to control effects. So when you're using effects like tractor beam, tractor beam repulsors, gravity well, and so on, the target will also get a burst of radiation damage after a short delay. So think of it as like explosion on a short fuse. Finally, the resonating secondary deflector will improve buff abilities that heal or buff their target. Now this is gonna add damage reduction to shields as well as a boost to incoming heals on that target for a short time. And it'll stack up to three times. So using hazard emitters, polarized hull, science team, transfer shield strength, and other buff and heal type abilities will add this buff that gives shield damage reduction and a boost to any heals they receive for the duration. Now, you'll be able to get common white quality deflectors for the secondary slot from the energy credit stores in most of the social hubs. You'll be able to get anything up to Mark 12 dropped as loot, and they'll also be able to be crafted with the science R&D school. So you won't have to learn a new school. People who have already mastered science will be able to craft secondary deflectors. They are also going to have mods, just like your weapons have accuracy or damage or... I guess some people like critical hit and damage, I've heard. that's. I guess that's a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, man. I've been putting everything to... I mean, I want to do damage, so yeah, we damage. just do all damage, right? Sorry, I, I think I'm making uh, sarcasm detectors' ears bleed. So mods for secondary deflectors are going to include sensor analysis, either to give a debuff on defense, a bonus to healing, or a bonus to damage, depending on which mod. You have sensor analysis plus heal, or sensor analysis plus damage. Besides those three, you'll also have precision subsystem targeting, which will boost the chance for subsystem targeting to actually knock that system offline, and accelerated subsystem targeting, which reduces the recharge of the subsystem targeting abilities. So you see the mods are tied directly into those two defining characteristics of a science ship. So those are the vessels that are gonna get the secondary deflector slot, and they will be able to boost whatever your preferred of the three general categories of science abilities happens to be. Wow. 
Now, I don't necessarily fly science ships, so is this something that... Is the addition to the secondary deflector something that is really going to change gameplay, do you think? Well, it'll be a nice boost, and depending on how folks have their build set up, it should give them some new options to customize a little bit, specialize. If they focus on uh, the, the ships I have that are heavy in science, I mostly use control effects, gravity wells, tractor beam repulsors, and those. So it would be nice to be able to boost those using this extra slot. I use a Dyson Science Destroyer on one of my Romulan characters, and it just has the one that came with it, but now I'll have some more options. What do you think about what Sunseals just said in the chat? Solenade deflectors will be not be useful if you get a sensor mod because tactical mod removes sensor analysis. Well, it'll be a trade-off because when you go into tactical mode, you get other benefits. So I'm sure that's intended. Maybe a factor in picking which one to use on that ship, though, because of that. So that's a good point. Well, as the deflectors start to trickle in on holodeck and they become available, perhaps we can do a math segment in the coming weeks and provide some insight on the actual hardware that will be available to players. Very cool. So the next piece of Star Trek Online news is regarding the Romulan mystery story arc update to the available missions in the Mission Journal. So a recent debate in the community is over the decision from Cryptic to restructure the Romulan mystery missions. Ultimately, they are removing 14 missions from the journal and replacing them with four episodes, quote, completely reworked to flow more neatly together and lead into featured episode series, end quote. With the redone missions, they're including added voice acting from Denise Crosby, who is reprising her role as Empress Sela from Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, I'm having a hard time understanding why people are, are really upset that these 14 old, outdated missions are being removed and replaced with four new and voiced missions. Because there's 10 less missions. Yeah, but these are likely to be of the, the caliber of, of new featured missions that have been created by Cryptic and voiced by the actors. I mean, how often... I, I don't remember the 14 missions. I really don't. And how often are people actually going back to play them? And for what reason? Were people earning some type of uber secret loot that I wasn't aware of? Anywho, I'm looking forward to the new content. What about what about you? What what did you go back and play them, Cookie? No. I can see why someone that's a drastic change. Fourteen to four. Why, though? But why is it a drastic change if you've already hit sixty on most of your characters? Maybe they liked those. New characters. new new players aren't even gonna notice this. I know, but I mean I can understand what they're what they're where they're go where they're coming from. Well, I get that a couple of them combine existing missions but some of them are just gone with nothing to replace them. Kind of like when they revamped the Borg and Undine missions, and now there's nothing to replace the state of Q, which, you know, some people like that mission. They didn't really consider it up to standards, but it's the, you know, the plug's been pulled on it. So I think the same is here. Maybe not all these missions may be the most memorable, but some of them are being pulled out and replaced with nothing. You know, that, that part of the story just won't exist anymore. It's like a retcon. It's like that was part of my character's backstory that I played through that. I mean, in-character fiction is a is a nebulous thing on MMOs anyway because everybody played through it, but it, it's odd. And like Maytok just pointed out, maybe they're not getting rid of them per se. Maybe they're just combining well, some them. Some of them are. So they're a lot longer, like four really long missions instead of 14 yeah. really short missions. I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, that is the case with some of them. Some of them are being combined into one of these new four missions that are being introduced. I um, I don't know. Well, that's our community question. That's right, Admirals. Tell us, what are you going to miss about the 14 old missions? What are you looking forward to the most about the new? 
Let us know in the comments section for this episode on Priority One Podcast forward slash PO206 or by replying to the post for this episode on the official Star Trek Online forums. In a Hanshin's log, a Kobali captain discusses testing a new Kobali ship named the Samsar. Although the Kobali are a gentle race and they would rather not have to fight, they now have little choice, so they need to be prepared for one. He describes the ship as the first Kobali warship, and it's a cruiser designed for defense. It also has a regenerative integrity field that will help during an attack. The fact that they point out this new regenerative integrity field console probably indicates that it's going to be a new playable ship. Yay! I'm curious to see a playable Kobali ship. I don't I don't have a good grasp on the Kobali technology yet. I'm guessing probably the anniversary ship, but we'll see. And, and well, that's my question is I wonder how this ship will be available to players. Probably anniversary ship, maybe a lockbox ship. We'll find out. I'm also wondering if it will have uh, command seating as part of the new specialization. Because mm. they do mention that it's going to be a cruiser, and I don't really see it being Intel with the Kobali. Mm, so I've been a little bored in game recently. I haven't really found much inspiration to play any of the core game content. So the other day, it was late, and I decided to take a risk and open the Foundry Mission Journal. But, womp womp. I got discouraged by its layout, how it was sorted, and the lack of uniformity between mission information from its authors. Some authors have playtimes, others have style of mission descriptions. Some of them are in parts and doesn't easily link back to the older parts, so I just kind of X'd out. But in a recent dev blog, it looks like Cryptic is trying to kill two Cations with one stone by improving on the foundry while also satiating the desire for space exploration. Dubbed the Foundry Top 3 system, players will now be able to explore the sector map, and some planets will act as doors to user-generated content, or UGC. The blog states, quote, The list of Top 3 UGC missions will appear just below any other missions available to you at that location. Click on one of these UGC missions, and the UGC mission info window will appear. If you choose to accept the mission, it will be added to your journal. At this time, only Foundry missions that use the door to a particular point of interest will be available through the Foundry Top 3 system. For example, a mission that starts in sector space at Drazana Station is eligible. One that starts on Drazana Station by clicking an interact in the ground map is not." End quote. I think that this is a an excellent example that Cryptic does in fact listen to the player base. We, there was a big concern that there was going to be very little to do or explore with exploration taken away, right? It was one of the pieces of content that players could continually enjoy. Now, we're going to be able to play Foundry missions, explore UGC, while also kind of being surprised as we're flying through sector space. It'll bring, them, it'll bring the, the, the galaxy to life, I think. Yeah, I dig it. I'm glad to see it. It's uh, definitely a oft-requested feature, and uh, I think it'll be neat. I mean, I fly around sometimes without a specific goal in mind, like just chatting or goofing off with my ship, and if I run into an interesting-sounding mission, I'd give it a try. I've had pretty good luck with foundry missions that were recommended to me by listeners, so I'm open. And they're going to, like, they're going to make sure these foundry missions are good missions before they stick them on the... Right, yes, they have to be yes. reviewed already. They have to be okay and, and a spotlight mission, perhaps, 
but yeah, they will they will be vetted. Okay. Because there has been times where I've tried a foundry mission, just just picked one out of the blue, and it was kind of I either quit or I was kind of disappointed in it, and then I didn't try any more foundry missions for a while because of that. So this will be good knowing already before I click on it that it's, our, it's definitely going to be good. Well, it's going to be some of the top rated ones for the particular area that have passed review. So there'll be a minimum level of quality. I mean, even some of the better missions that I've played can be silly or, or kind of zany, but you know, you know that going in. That brings us to our third community question this week. Will you start exploring sector space and playing foundry missions? Do you think this satiates that desire for exploration missions while spotlighting UGC? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO206 or by replying to the post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. So next up, in current news, rather than talking about the 5th anniversary event, we have a last chance lockbox event that snuck into the patch today and was already live before the blog even went up. So from now until Thursday, January 29th, you'll be able to find, or may already have been finding, some of the previously retired lockboxes. So anything from the original Cardassian lockbox all the way up through the current Delta Expedition lockbox is out there dropping right now. You should be able to get a hold of whatever lockboxes you want to give a try. I suspect that the demand for keys will be going up as a result, because I know the prices have been bottomed out for a little while, but that usually means new lockbox incoming. So we've got some uh, triple updates that have been trickling in and will be available to players in the next few days. Specifically, the Foundry Top 3 system will be included in Tribble, so if you are a Foundry author or a Foundry player or looking to explore the sector map, then give it a shot and let us know what you think of it. But in general, we're going to see a few things happening to some of the PvE queues, specifically the Cure and Crystalline Catastrophe. First off is that Mark rewards are going to be changed a bit and being tweaked. For instance, in the Cure... Mark rewards will go from 25 to 15 when played on normal. And for the Crystalline Catastrophe on normal, it's going from 40 to 30. And wait, and also in Crystalline Entity, you can't just nuzzle up into it anymore to avoid the shockwave. If you get in less than 1k, you're safe from the shockwave. But apparently now, you're not going to be able to do that. So let's hope we all have rock and roll because that's, that's one good way to avoid the shockwave. But usually... By the time you use it, and then the shockwave comes back again, and it's still on cooldown. So, my biggest thing is the mark reductions. Um, I mean, I don't play crystalline often or the cure often, but like fleet alert, I like that one. And fleet alert is also getting a nerf on on the mark rewards from uh, in waves five to two. It's going from ten to five marks, and from in, in the fifth wave, it's going from eighteen to fifteen. I don't know. I don't know that I am enjoying that. I don't think I, I don't like that. I don't. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the mark reduction. Yeah, Charles Gray just made a post to the Star Trek Online forums about it, which we can include that link. But it's it's really just discussing this at more length. It doesn't give a lot more background on it. Hmm. And they're also getting rid of no-win scenario for a little while. Well, I think that with no-win, it was becoming that it was it was winnable with two people practically. So I think that I think that they're 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 retweaking that. Yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. Something that Smirk said on one of his live streams made me... It indicated that it was coming back. It's just a temporary thing. 
And as we mentioned earlier regarding the Romulan episodes, the new ones, you will be able to play three of them now on Tribble. So if you're interested in trekking those out, then by all means hit up Tribble and give them a shot and let us know what you think of them. There's a lot more to the Tribble patch notes. We encourage you to check that out over on the Star Trek online forums. So Bug Hunt, on the other hand, the rewards are going to be increased. So the normal, it's going to be increased by 25%, advanced 50%, and elite 75%. That's the one I like to do, and that's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's the easiest of the of the elite content that was released with Delta Rising. So that's that's interesting. That's interesting that they're increasing that those missions, but taking away from the other ones. I don't I don't know. Maybe they're promoting ground. Maybe, maybe. Well, admirals, that will do it for this week in Star Trek Online news. If you want a full list of what came out on Tribble this week, we'll have the links, of course, in the show notes. And if you're interested in sharing your thoughts on the new missions that hit or the decrease in marks. And let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO206 or on the post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Now, we welcome UI artist Thomas Maroney. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. And joining us for episode 206 of Priority One Podcast is Captain Thomas the Cryptic Cat Maroney, staff UI artist at Cryptic Studios working on Star Trek Online. Thomas, thank you so very much for joining us this week. I'm happy to be here so soon after my last time. I think the gap between that and the previous episode was much, much longer in the magnitude of years. (laughs) It's true. It's sad and true, and so we're making up for it now. Now we're just going to have you on every week. Yeah, hey. I'll be a co-host if that weren't like a clear conflict of interest. (laughs) I I mean, really, it's all about ethics and game journalism, right, guys? Absolutely. Right. right. Yes. (laughs) Perfect. You have been busy over the last several weeks and, and months working on changes and updates to the game's UI. Last we had you, you had posted a series of images and charts explaining the flow of translating abilities in Star Trek Online and also teasing a bit of the changes that were coming over the next several months. So what have you been working on since we last had you on the show? Yeah, so in general, we've been working on the new uh, bridge officer training update. And you know that's been a big project that's involved programmers and it's involved a systems designer and it's involved the UI artists, obviously. Now, the new UI interface window, which we can talk about in a little bit, I actually did not design. That uh, was done by our other UI artist and she did a fantastic job working on that and iterating on it and making it uh, really kind of intuitive and slick. So I'm really happy with how that turned out, but I can't take credit for it. And what was her name? Jocelyn. Jocelyn. So what I've been doing, aside from modeling ships, I've kind of been splitting my time between ship modeling and UI. As far as the bridge officer update goes, kind of while we were talking about, you know, updating how bridge officers were trained, I kind of realized that, you know, a lot of people are going to be experiencing a lot of these powers for the very first time because they probably have never trained their bridge officer before at all. So if they didn't see a power that 
came with their bridge officer, they probably just didn't know it existed in the game or heard about other people. You know, I mean, obviously people on the forums and on Reddit who are, who are really invested in the game are exceptions, but I think a lot of people, I know, I actually know people, friends of mine who have maxed out, you know, max characters. And one guy I knew got to level cap and before he realized he could use kit powers on the ground. You know, I think there are a lot of, SEO is a very complicated game and in some places it's been really obtuse and hard to figure out, and this new bridge officer training hopefully kind of remedies some of that, at least for using powers with your bridge officers. So I realized that you know a lot of these powers are going to be new to a lot of people, and to me it seemed like a perfect time to take some of the icons that we have for some of these bridge officer powers and redo them and make them much more intuitive based on either the name or the function of the power. So, you know, obviously I have a lot to say about that, but it's it's been a big process. We actually had started this a long time ago as kind of a review of where things were with different powers. And so I, I a while back, I updated, I don't know, 10 or 15 of them, but they never got added to the game because there never really seemed to be a good time to just change the icons for no reason. But this, with the introduction of this new training system, that seemed like a perfect opportunity to do it. So I started, you know, switching them out and then I realized how terrible all the ones I didn't do <laughs> in the past were. And uh, it basically, I think maybe four of the game's original power icon survived. <laughs> <laughs> of the of the bridge officer power icons from launch survived. I think the rest were modified in some way or completely changed. Hopefully it makes them much more intuitive for people to learn. Have you guys taken a look at them yet? Yeah. I, I think one of my favorite ones is Gravity Well. The new Gravity Well. Cool. So there are kind of a couple philosophies about the design of these power icons. One is that you can try to make the icon represent what the power does, so the effect the power has on the player or an enemy, or you can try to you know, reflect the flavor of the power, which means the name of the power or the effect of the power or whatever. So there's no real clear line for STO where when it's appropriate to do one or the other. In some cases, like the cases of, uh, and I think I talked about this last time we were talking about icons, but you know, the cases of science team, tactical team, and engineering team, we kind of went with the flavor. And that's useful for abstract powers too, like you know, rally cry. Because Rally Cry actually does a lot. It heals you and it gives you, I think, damage resistant buffs and all that. So that's a lot to fit on an icon. But if you make a, like, the new Rally Cry icon has a big flag on it, which, you know, kind of rally around the flag or whatever. And so that hopefully makes it easier to at least remember what the name of the power is when you see the icon. And then you have, you know, your association with the power capabilities there. One more thing to talk about with these icons is that you now have a little glyph in the lower left that indicates the rank of that power. I know a lot of people slot basically all three ranks of ox to bat or whatever, so in this case you'll be able to see which one you're touching off by looking at the icon, which I think is... That a- is so helpful. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that. That is so helpful. <laughs> I do two copies of so many powers. Yes. The first time I click it, I want it to be the best one, so... <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so that, that was actually a big project because that meant, obviously, making all those icons and then going through the power editor and hooking it up to every version of the power. And that ended up breaking how the effects... Uh, some people reported little white squares on Tribble when a power goes off, and that broke because... I hooked up different icons to the different ranks, and it's a long story. Anyway, I just worked on fixing that today, so it'll be fixed by the time it all goes live. So I noticed a little while after the new ability icons were released to Tribble, some were changed based on some of the user feedback. 
Can you tell us a little more about that process? Yeah, I mean, uh, it. you know, honestly, hopefully this doesn't come across as tone deaf, but I think I got a pretty good read on the community. And, and a lot of the community feedback was positive, which I wasn't anticipating just because, you know, it's icons are a fundamental way that people interact with the game and changing them is always scary. I know people are going to have... You know, there'll be an adjustment period. My belief and hope is that that will be a very quick adjustment period because these icons should be a lot easier to learn than the old ones were. But anyway, you know, some people had feedback in terms of, you know, some of these icons are a little too busy, uh, namely the emergency power to X, those icons. I wanted to unify them with a bunch of different elements that were the same across all four, but that ended up kind of crowding the icons. So I simplified those. Uh, some people felt that medical tricorder wasn't uh, reading as medical anymore. So I, you know, I kind of made that resemble the old icon a little more with the caduceus. And uh, uh, it still has a little tricorder glyph in there, but the primary image is now the caduceus. And um, I think there are a couple others like that where I just kind of made it less busy. And so they're hopefully stand out on the power tray a little more. But, uh, you know, by and large, the feedback's been pretty positive. So I'm, I've been happy about that. You know, I'm sure we'll go through all this again when it hits Holodeck and people, you know, who didn't log into Triple or read the dev blogs weren't paying attention. But again, the nice thing about it is that with the Bridge Officer training user interface, all of that stuff, you can look at all of those powers. Even if you don't actually own a power, you can see it in a list and see what it does, and you can see the icon there too. So learning all of that should be a lot easier to do than it was before. It's almost like a little Stowiki, really, having all those powers listed on your Ridge Officer skill page now. That would be a big help to me, even as a longtime player. There's still some powers that I don't necessarily recognize by their icon. I use a lot of little personal tricks of like where I put things on a hot bar, just so I know which ones are which, Yeah. especially yeah. on ground. In space, most of them I know at this point, unless it's something I really have never used, but ground it's like i'm just button mashing still sometimes yeah and you know that's the other thing too that i was hoping to kind of accomplish is i learned a lot by redoing these icons about the function of some powers that i hadn't you know i never really looked at before like i read the name of it and i was like that doesn't sound good i'm not i don't care about that power and so hopefully by cleaning up the icons a little bit and kind of standardizing the visual language that'll make those powers look a little more useful and uh appetizing if it were. I'm curious, since you mentioned connecting the powers up with all the new icons causing other issues, I know the loadout system has been sort of a hot button topic and there's also going to be some things changing with it in this update. Do you anticipate any kind of issues or have you seen anything yet where loadouts have issues with like the different ranks of the powers or the new icons or anything like that? Certainly new icons won't affect loadouts. You know, I'm not a programmer so I don't really have any control over how loadouts get implemented or, or whatever problems There's show up. There's been a lot of issues with yeah. loadouts lately. <laughs> there have been. Um, I'm hopeful a little bit. We've got our hand on that. I'm not exactly sure where that stuff stands. But this basically is unrelated. It's unrelated, yeah. I mean, the effects issue I mentioned with the white squares just happened to be a quirk of how the effects system looked up the icon it was using, which was referencing the UI icon hooked up. So some powers have two icons. They have the icon that the UI uses, and then they have the little icon that shows up when you actually trigger the effect on your character. Oh, like a buff or debuff type icon? Yeah, yeah. And that's not in the UI. That shows up like, you might see like a little line that goes out from your ship, and then the icon pops out and it's glowing, um, and then it pops back in. So that's a completely separate image from the UI icon. 
anyway, so the game was like using some magic to look at, okay, this is the name of the UI icon, so look for this effect icon using a similar name. And uh, when I hooked up all those ranks, there were no effect icons with the right names for that to work together. So anyway, that's, I'm sure that's a lot more detailed <laughs> representation of the problem than people care about. But no, I think we definitely have people who are interested in that, like under the hood stuff. Yeah. That's why I ask. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, but uh, the moral of the story is all that stuff's getting fixed, and now it will definitely be consistent with the new design of the uh, power icons in the UI, and so that's good. Yeah, we got an interesting question in game from Valkus. He says, are there plans to expand or refine the space UI for Captain and Boff Power's interface to go along with the new icons? He continues, I'm using four rows already, all I can hotkey, and I can't slot all of the powers I have now when I earn the specialization abilities. I won't have any space to slot any of the activatable ones. You know, the HUD, the HUD is messy, and we'd love to go back and touch that up. There's no, we don't have immediate plans to do that. It's certainly something in the back of our minds. But what he can do, if he only has four rows set up, I assume that means he's got the three rows on his horizontal power tray, and he's got the um, one row of his bridge officer portrait stuff. He can also hit escape and go to rearrange UI or uh, alternatively use the F12 hotkey to open up his UI window and he can use that to add a vertical power bar that can have, I think, three columns. So it's just like the horizontal power tray. I didn't know it could have three columns. I think so. I don't use it personally, but... I use it, but I just use one. I'm going to start up the game. Oh, it can! I just tested it out. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it can. You might not have known that was there, so uh, hopefully that solves his problem. Wow, that's great. We got a question from someone in the Priority One chat in-game. At Foxman86 asks, what was your inspiration for redesigning the upcoming BOF UI change? Well, you know, obviously not only adding things to the game is important to us, but we also like to go back and revisit old systems and see where the game kind of has never really been you know quite to the level that we wanted it to be we recently redid crafting and we've redone a lot of episode arcs and all that so we're always looking at you know okay what's the next thing that can really be improved and how you train your bridge officer in star trek online is you know currently it's not very intuitive and i think a lot of people might not even know that they can you have to go to a specific npc contact and then you select a power, and then you pick a bridge officer from a list, and then the power they had, it's kind of like Pokemon, right? Like, Pikachu forgets tackle when he learns shock or something. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the, uh, but the bridge officers work the same way, where if they have Cannon Rapid Fire 3, and you wanted them to have Attack Pattern Omega or something like that, you know, you have to choose between them. And for some of those powers, like, if you want them to learn that power again, you have to find a rare bridge officer that has that power to train them. You know, it was just kind of a mess, and it wasn't really streamlined, and uh, and it was really bad. You know, as a side effect of how it worked, it was really inconvenient to change the type of ship that you flew, right? Because the powers that you have on your bridge officers are really tailor made to certain types of ships, and you care a lot more, for example, about the space science powers you have if you're flying a science ship as opposed to an escort. You know, and also you care a lot more about your tactical powers and about the fact that this is a beam power that only affects beam weapons. Well, if I'm flying an escort that has mostly cannons, I might not need that beam power. Or if I'm flying a cruiser that doesn't have any cannons and is only a beam boat, then I'm definitely going to want to make sure that I only have beam weapon powers and I'm not wasting any of my tactical powers on cannon rapid fire or whatever. So the way that some people 
got around that is they just had you know double or triple the number of bridge officers and you know this is my bridge officer for my escort and this is my bridge officer for my cruiser and that kind of sucks because it's just a pain in the butt to remember what's what. I personally didn't do that. I just went and retrained bridge officers. Or the other way to solve that is just never fly certain types of ships. Yeah, which isn't a great solution because we love our spaceships. Well, you love your spaceships, and especially with the uh, traits, the Starship Mastery System and traits. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really want to min-max, you've gotta, you have to diversify. You have to fly all the Tier 6 ships you want to get those Starship traits. And so it seemed like a really important thing for us to go through and update to make it easier for people to try out new ships, to get those Starship traits, and to have fun doing it. You know, if it's easier to train your bridge officers, then it's easier to swap out your ships, and, it, and you might find a, a ship style or a play style that you hadn't considered before and might really enjoy it. Since I designed the Pathfinder, I have a Pathfinder on one of my characters. I've never flown a science ship before, so I'm looking forward to trying that out. And I've kind of been waiting until this... Uh, bridge officer training thing goes live so it'll be a lot easier to uh, swap out powers and, and figure out what a good build for that is so the goal was to make it easier much more intuitive and accessible through the ui so you don't have to go to a specific contact i think it also is going to open up some new tier three options for certain powers that never existed in the game before which is kind of exciting it's going to let people kind of specialize and trade with other players because they'll be able to make training manuals for certain powers and then give those to their friends without worrying about giving them really good bridge officers you might not ever get back. <laughs> I know that's been a long-standing gripe is that you know people have been like, oh, bought, let me borrow your bridge officer so I can learn this power, and then that bridge officer, you know, and then the person like runs away with their bridge officer and you never see it again. So you know there have been a lot of problems I think with how the bridge officer training had been handled. And, uh, you know, this is going to uh, hopefully solve a lot of them and just make the system more engaging. One of the interesting things with the way it's all set up now is your bridge officers have a default power setup for ground and space. And, and let me back up a little bit because, uh, I mean, we, we, we've had the dev blogs, but if your listeners haven't listened to that, basically the idea is that the way you train bridge officers now is that you get a training manual for a power and then you can spend expertise to teach that power to the bridge officer and then that training manual is consumed so when a bridge officer has learned a power it's learned that power forever it does none of your powers get replaced you know, basically you can learn every bridge officer power in the game for that career if you have enough expertise and get all the training manuals and everything this means that you know your bridge officer is extremely flexible now on what they do and how they contribute to your ship or your away team and when you slot a bridge officer in the new stations UI that Jocelyn made, you can actually customize what that bridge officer's power setup is for that ship. In the skills window, the bridge officer has a default power loadout, but in the stations menu, you can also pick you know, the stations menu for a specific ship. You can pick what powers they use. So if normally you like attack pattern whatever, but for one ship, you need, you know, the cannon ship you have, you'd rather have cannon rapid fire two or three or something. You can set that up and it'll remember it specifically for that ship, which is really exciting because that'll make swapping between ships once you have all your bridge officers configured the way you like them really easy. The other neat thing about that is that the same thing happens for ground. You have a default power selection for ground and you can always change it. Um, the original plan, and I don't know if we've done this, so maybe I shouldn't mouth off too much about it, but at one point we were talking about letting you override the power selection in the uh, way team picker. So before you beam down, like changing what powers they might use for that one away mission. 
So I don't remember if we actually got that in in time or not, but that's something that we considered doing. But again, it's just all about flexibility and in, you know being intuitive. So that's kind of a mouthful, but as your captain levels up, that'll unlock the ability to create new training manuals for tier three powers of your career in your profession in the crafting you know, R&D UI. And that's nice because you can sell those on the exchange or you can give them to other players who are not you know, your career. Uh, and finally, the other really cool thing with the system is that we've allowed you to actually train bridge officers in a specialization. So now you don't need to buy a white intelligence specialist from a vendor. You can actually just take one of your bridge crew you've had forever and actually you know, get an intelligence uh, specialization qualification item from the crafting school and uh, actually turn them into an intelligence bridge officer with intelligence powers. So that's another thing I'm really excited about. That'll also work for you know pretty much every like all the different specializations we're coming out with that are full specializations. You know we'll have bridge officer schools for them. I think I like that and the fact that we will be able to train some of the untradeable bridge officers the best. I think those are my two favorite things about the new system. Yeah, right. And I yeah I was going to mention that too. Is that finally you know one of the great things this system does is it lets you actually train all the bridge officers that you couldn't give to other people to train. So I think it's just wins across the board, really. And it's going to be the biggest thing for biggest deal for me is probably about the, you know, reducing the amount of pain for switching ships, because that's, you know, that's one of the, the really interesting things about STO is all the different ships and how they fly and the different builds that you can do. But if it's too hard to switch between them, I know I've definitely spent just an hour, like I log in, spend an hour switching ships and getting a ship set up and then I can't play anymore. Yeah, <laughs> It's like I haven't actually played the game. I've just been housekeeping this whole time. So It's the ship management mini game. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anything to reduce that is definitely a good thing, especially now with uh, Starship traits and all that stuff. So yeah, that's the uh, bridge officer training in a nutshell. Very cool. So we've been talking mostly about user interface with relationship to the new BOF training system and the new icons, which I'm very excited about. But you wear two hats over there now. So let's talk about ships. Anything you can tell us or tease us a little bit about ships in the pipeline? Anything you've been working on recently? Sure. I recently finished what was actually my third ship. My very first ship for for STO was actually the Vadwar fighter. So if you see a Vadwar fighter flying around in-game, you know, like one of the critters or whatever. Um, Actually, also, I think there's a mission where it's on the ground. Like You see the hangar with all the Vadwar fighters in there. Uh, that was actually my very first ship for STO. My second ship was the Pathfinder, and I actually uh, had the privilege of designing that myself. Woo-hoo. So sometimes we'll have a the concept artist who is great, uh, Hector. Um, I think you guys have talked to him before. Oh yeah, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's awesome, he does great work, he designs really cool ships. So sometimes he'll be doing the ships, sometimes he won't have scheduled time to design the ships, which is, I mean, I love Hector, but I also love designing my own spaceships so I was lucky enough to do that for the Pathfinder and the ship that I did after the Pathfinder was actually something Hector designed which was good and you guys will like that I'm sure when you get to see it but that's uh, under wraps for now and then I'm right now I just finished designing the next ship I'm going to build which is a you know another Federation ship so I'm really uh, excited about that I can't really say anything about it at all but I'm excited about the the opportunity to keep doing more federation designs and is it intelligence tier six uh no it has nothing to do with intelligence the vodwar fighter is that the one that was adapted from the vodwar ship that we actually saw in the show yeah 
Oh, very cool. That looks really good in game. It was, you know, it was actually pretty simple in terms of modeling. And uh, of course, I took a long time to do it because it was my first ship. I'm sure I could do it faster now, but it's been a big learning process. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting uh, trying to wear these two hats and things come up in one side or the other and kind of balancing that. But I'm it's cool because I'm excited about both things. I'm, I'm passionate about both, like how the UI looks and also how the spaceships look. So I'm lucky to be able to directly contribute in both those areas. Yeah, it's very cool. You have fingers in a lot of pies. As I'm working my way through the Delta Rising mission content, because I've been behind from moving and all that, our listeners are tired of hearing me talk about it, but every time I see all these NPCs in Odyssey uniforms, I can't help <laughs> but think of you. And I was replaying some older missions that yeah. I hadn't played since they were revamped, like the uh, Assimilation mission. And, you know, everybody wearing the new uniform and that. And it's a lot. You, you do a lot for immersion through the, the interface of the game and through de- now designing ships. And, you know, your costume project was very well received. So hopefully you get to keep doing it for a long time. Thanks. I certainly spent a lot of time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly a huge Star Trek fan. So it, it matters a lot to me. Anytime I have the opportunity to work on something that makes STO like a little bit closer to the perfect Star Trek game that I always wanted to play, I'm going to do that. And the Odyssey uniforms were a big... That was a huge win, I think. I mean, you know, I feel a little unmodest talking about it that way, but I think it was a great way to kind of update, subtly update a lot of old content and just make it feel less old. <laughs> and feel more polished. It's great, I think, that we've been doing that with the Romulan arc and uh, Klingon arc and all that stuff. I think it's made a big difference. Well, Thomas, thank you so very much for stopping by. Is there anything that we didn't cover that uh, you wanted to touch on before we wrap things up? Not really. I think, I mean, five years is pretty great. I'm really excited and proud to get ready to celebrate the fifth anniversary of STO. You know, hopefully you guys really enjoy the upcoming featured episode. I didn't have anything to do with it, really, but I think it's... uh, it's always amazing when we get to reference canon like we're doing in this episode. I think people are going to get a really big kick out of it. Well, I think we're all excited. Five years is an amazing milestone for any MMO, and especially we get to celebrate it for Star Trek Online. So we're looking forward to another five years. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to another five years of uh, Priority One as well. Absolutely. There we go. Well, Thomas, thanks so much for stopping by. We'll have to bring you on again soon and not years later. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh... Well, now it's time to open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we will open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you. Our first piece of feedback comes from Drakar. And it's a voicemail message via our speak pipe widget. And Admirals, we love it when you leave us voicemails. Please, do it weekly. Hello, Priority Warners. I am Admiral Jakar. just wanted to say that I am listening to episode 205 live. It's the very first time in two years that I've been listening to you guys that I've been able to catch a live show. And uh, I just want to say keep up the good work and uh, keep on podcasting. Thanks for all the work you guys do. So thank you, Drakar, for reaching out to us via our SpeakPipe widget and leaving us a voicemail for your experience on the live show. Now, Admirals, we do record live every Thursday night on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. But that doesn't mean that 
you still can't participate and get your hands on the live unedited recording. They are available to our Patreon patrons at patreon.com forward slash priority one at the $10 a month tier. That's about $2.50 per episode or less than a cup of coffee per episode. So consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash priority one and getting your hands on the live unedited recordings of Priority One Podcast. And again, thank you, Drakar, for your support and for listening to us for so long and for joining us for the first time last week during our live show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. All right, and our first community question from last week was, should AI research be internationally regulated or should we trust the Frankensteins and Daniel Greystones to make sure AI is programmed to obey its flesh and blood masters? To start us off, we hear from Azorian, who wrote into us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. AI is a Pandora's box situation. It could either be friendly, like R2-D2, or it could end up causing our end via Cylons or slavery. All I will say is the creators be good people and teach it the rights and wrongs of society and to be a good cyber being. Also, when creating the first AIs, and I like this, one, no wireless capability, two, no internet capability, three, program is not able to be transferred on any existing media. That way it doesn't go Skynet on us. Also, Azorian mentioned that Captain Kim isn't a loner. He stated he has a family back on Earth. Well, oh my god, spoilers, I wasn't that far in the story yet, as if you were paying attention you would have known. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. It's fine. You caught us. But it is true. Ensign Kim is still out there and still all alone for now, but that may change. On the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, Mighty Bob writes, Regulation might be hard to achieve, but it might be an inevitable necessity. Until such a time, however, it might be easier to lay out some best practices for AI development, similar to how various standards, bodies, and regulatory authorities lay out best practices for things like code development and security practices, without actually having a strict enforcement framework. No, it makes sense, and I think that's what some of the organizations we were talking about last week are interested in. M. Hall 85 commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, although I agree with Cookie that this isn't a pressing life issue. Sure, this should be thought out by some smart person society. Tying it back to Trek, while TNG did a great job of thinking about this with Data, I personally feel that Voyager dropped the ball on this with the Doctor. Holograms are different than androids, after all. They dropped the ball? How? You know, that's true. Yeah, because because uh, the Doctor's a holographic and he's developed beyond his parameters. He's still a hologram. It's not like that's never happened. That happened in TNG. Does it have a positronic... Yes, it did. No, because Data Data has a, no, 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 a positronic brain. No, 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 hologram TNG. Data created... Oh, like, like no, Mar- Moriarty? No, Data created a being that could... Oh, no, Jordy created the being that... Oh, no. Jordy, I think it was Jordy. Yeah, it's Jordy. Created the, a being that could outwit data, and that being, that holographic, became a like monster. On Wasn't the that ship. Moriarty? Yeah, that's Moriarty. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. See, that was before I started watch, watching Sherlock, so I just didn't even think anything of the name at the time. Mm-hmm. Now I know who Moriarty is. Can't wait for the next Sherlock. Anyway, so yes, it, they did do it in TNG. It's not just Voyager. I think there's some unanswered questions about it with the Doctor, but I have not seen all of Voyager, so I can't speak to it yet. Well, our second community question asked was, at what rate are you personally earning specialization points? How is your progress? Do you have some to spare? Have you filled up all the trees? Well, Rick Wheeler wrote on our Facebook wall, In regard to your community question, I started Delta Rising about a month after its release. I moved. 
I'm somewhere around 22 points in Intelligence, and 15 in Pilot with one alt, and 15 in Commando with another. I've been saving my points now for some of my characters to put into Command once it comes out. We asked, what rate are you earning points? And he said, maybe twice a week. I barely do an STF a day with my main, but I leveled three alts and gained spec points using only the DOF system. You see, I have not even touched Intelligence or Commando. I, everything has been on Pilot. I've, I've only earned enough to get through Pilot, and now I think I have one point left over, and I'm saving that to just start the, the new Command tree. Gotcha. I put some in Commando, but then I realized that I had to either choose Commando or Pilot. So I was like, dang it, I should have put it in Intelligence. Uh. I'm a couple tiers into intelligence, mostly because I want to be able to train boffs with intel skills or, you know, later on make the books for it, manuals. Sean Newboy commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Currently, I'm working on Ship Masteries. One of my three prime characters is fed and has seven to eight, including Breen and Pathfinder. To do that, I'm finishing up all the missions and then doing Argala. I personally cannot wait for the new boff training system. Wonderful episode, everyone. Gavin Runeblade writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, My main has earned 17 spec points and spent four of them. A second character has earned and spent eight, all commando. A third has earned and spent four, intel. The rest of my 13 characters are level 52 through 59 and have not spent any of what they have earned. But to be fair, most still have skill points unspent and all have empty trait slots that they could fill if I bothered to. I have not done any grinding, I just play the game and let points come in however they come in. Before Delta Rising, all of my characters had earned over 2 million skill points that I got nothing for, except on the rare occasion. I could donate them to a fleet project. Clearly, skill points are available in-game in sufficient quantity, so I see no reason to rush. I think... Uh, is he talking about something else here? I'm thinking that we got lost in translation Those somewhere. Spec points in the first part. Because hmm. you can't... You can't contribute to the skill tree until you're level 60. So no, that, he wouldn't be contributing. That's not true. It's no? 51 and up. Every time you reach a level after 50, you gain one, and then you continue oh, yes, to gain yes, them yes, at 60. Yes, 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 I'm sorry. You are right. Because I'm 57th, and I'm in the second tier of intelligence. Decker73 posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I've been splitting my time fairly evenly between my 14 characters. So far, my character with the most spec points has 16. My other characters have 13, 11, 10 of them have 10, and the last one has 9. Yikes. That's a wow. lot. It's impressive. Most of my characters have been using the pilot specialization. Three have been progressing under intelligence. My character with 16 has just finished the piloting tree, and I'm starting to bank his points for the command specialization. We also got some feedback regarding the Perfect World Entertainment fraud probation system. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that fraud probation system. At Captain Starbuck commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I got a Lobby ship that I wanted to sell on the exchange, or at least transfer to another tune, only to find out that it was bound to the tune who got it. There was no warning that states this ship is different than any of the other ships you purchase in the Lobby store. I contacted Cryptic and they basically stated I'm stuck with a Psy ship on an engineer tune. They would do nothing for a lifetime pre-beta player who has spent tons of money getting Zen. Epic fail! Hey, Jace, want to share what happened to you this week? Yeah, I, uh, I converted some Steam Bucks that I got on a gift card from Christmas into Zen, and I ran into the same thing. I just wanted to convert part of it into Dilithium because I was working on some crafting, and 
I was blocked. I couldn't put it on the dilithium exchange. Fortunately, it cleared relatively quickly, but I was afraid How to... How did it clear? Well, for purposes of the exchange, sometimes it clears out in like an hour from the probation, but I was afraid to buy anything with it, like where Elijah was trying to buy keys to sell on the exchange and stuff like that. Yeah, I still have my bound keys. And, um, How long has it been? I thought it was know. supposed to clear after like 10 days or 14 days at the most. Right. The probation clears after 10 days at the most. However, if you buy anything from the C-Store that is supposed to be boundless, it will be bound to character permanently. Permanently. There's no go- yeah, there's no turning back from Holy that. Holy crap. So, yeah. So does that I mean, mean they I, can't know, fix it for you? They. It's not that they can't. It's that they won't. Well, because it's afflicted so many people. It would be, uh, I don't, I don't know. That's not cool. There, there needs to be pop-ups. This should be fixed for the folks that it was afflicted with, and there should be something in the store that lets you know. Yeah, because as we go on with this feedback, we're going to see, you're going to see there are more people that have had the same problem. So Runser writes on Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, had a similar situation as Elijah with the probation period. I decided to grab some R&D packs on Christmas, found out they were account bound. To add insult to injury, all of the crafting materials and lobby from them were also flagged as account bound and cannot be stacked with non-bound items. So I've now got two stacks of lobby in my account bank and an engineer with a crafting inventory that is almost completely full because I have two stacks of each crafting material. That is also what happened to me. And, you know, like, I noticed that when it first happened. I was like, because I opened up one box, right? I have nine keys. I opened up, I had a spare key, or I think I bought one with EC. That's what I did. Okay, so this will also happen to you, like Saronsu explained. I bought a key from the exchange just because I just, I wanted to open a box. I don't even know why. I, was, I, I think I was, in, I was looking for an inspirational leader, and I just wanted to try my luck. So I bought a key from the exchange, planning to use it to open a box. I opened it, but it took it from the 10 key stack that were bound to me. Automatically took it from that 10 key stack. So whatever I got in that box is stuck to me because like him, it's it's contagious. If you buy something from the C-Store, you buy a key from the C-Store and you open up a lockbox, whatever items are in that lockbox will also be account bound. So it does. It's contagious. That's what that's what right, I, that's right. what I meant last week when I said it's contagious because it doesn't matter. It, it trickles down to all the items. It's like a disease that happens, and this disease needs to be fixed with warning signs. Like, hey, your account is on probation. I should be getting an email, and I should be getting a pop up in the same vein as the crafting system, where it's you know big, bold, red text. And like Saronsur, I have two stacks of lobby now because I opened that box and got four pieces of lobby that I cannot combine now because they're account bound. Saronsur brings up a great point with the R&D packs. That's crafting materials. So presumably anything you crafted with them, you oh. wouldn't even be able to trade. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it's as, if the contagiousness of this is as deep uh, as they warn, then yeah, you craft something with it and you're not going to be able to trade it. I don't know, though. We, we, I, I hope mean, they fix that for you. Because this obviously is not supposed to... You're not... Nobody hacked your account. That's what this was all about, right? No. To prevent... No, yeah, this is... They thought someone hacked your account or fraudulent activity. Or, or pirating, too. I think a lot of it also has to do with not just uh, people hacking each other's accounts, but uh, the, uh, the resellers, right? The people who sell Zen and Keys and EC, you know, on, uh, in, on, the, on the underground... What do you call them? Pirates, right? You call them uh, pirates? Uh, gold sellers is what they're usually called. Gold sellers, yeah. You gold sellers. 
Well, uh, the last one on this topic comes from USS Ackerman, who wrote us on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. I heard about this and agreed it's not handled well. It's been observed that the majority of the problems come from people buying Zen through Steam. I've not run into the problem myself, though I only buy once or twice a year, but I buy my Zen through ARC using PayPal. It's theorized by many that this is a non-ARC prejudice, but I can't confirm this. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't believe that they would intentionally do this to dissuade people from using Steam, but it certainly looks bad and is bad PR. Um, it, 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 I mean, most people who know about uh, how these gaming platforms work know that Steam takes a cut, sometimes a fairly substantial cut, whenever transactions on behalf of another game are done. So this makes it look like, oh, we want you to use the ARC client for one, and we don't want you to buy through Steam because we don't get as much. Again, I don't believe that's the case. That That's too obviously shady. No company would really... like. I used to get accused of that as a manager in retail, and that's just not how you run a business. That's, But it, it's conspiracy theory fodder, and that's not, so, not something you should ever want. Yeah, if they didn't want you to use Steam, they should just make it not available to use Steam, period. Right, right. They right. Shouldn't or don't just... include Steam in the... Don't include Steam in the promo either. Right. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO priority one or shoot an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. You know, before we close the show, I do want to say one thing. I was on the Star Trek online forums the other day and I saw a signature that was really grotesque. It depicted a, an, a red shirt that blew their head off because, and the, the, the tagline was stow motivation level. It was really grotesque and I think really uncalled for. Um, I think that, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinions, but sometimes just try to remember that there are people that may be offended to things like that and there are also children that scroll the forums. That kind of stuff is, I think, unnecessary and uncalled for. So I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate from this. And you know who you are who had that signature. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for it, but, like, let's... Let's think twice. Let's think twice before we have signatures about neo-Nazism and and comparing to terrorism and people blowing their heads off. I think it's uncalled for. I'm actually surprised that wasn't uh, removed. Well, that wraps up episode 206 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community questions in the comments section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's community questions are from Trek It Out. Do you think Simon Pegg will give us the best film of the reboot? Or do you think we're going to get a movie with action, humor, and very little philosophy? From Star Trek Online News, what are you going to miss about the 14 old Romulan mystery missions? What are you looking forward to most in the new ones? Our second question, will you start exploring sector space and playing foundry missions? Do you think this new system satiates the desire for exploration missions while spotlighting user-generated content? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO206 or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. 
or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. With your support, we've already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. And don't forget that we're still hosting the contest for the best Priority One duty officer. For details on the contest, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO206. You can win 5,000 zen. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, and Admiral Winters, and to support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to our video editor, Jerry, and to the writer of our new prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. This week we track out an interesting development on the third installment of the Star Trek movie. Reboot. Sorry. This week we track out an interesting development on the third installment of the Star Trek movie reboot. Reboot. Did I... Reboot. Yeah, reboot. Okay. Reboot. Let's show the podcast community that Priority One Podcast is the best darn produced Star Trek gaming show out there. And it would make me really happy to win. You heard it first. You heard it here, Captains. It would make Cookie really happy oh to win. God. So go nominate us. Well, we probably have a better shot this year by about 20% because we have Cookie and me. <sighs> Burn on Tony. Burn on Dave. <laughs> it's not like I said 10 times greater. <laughs> so, we've re- so we've begun recording our episodes. Good grief. Who wrote this crap? You. Okay. And don't forget that we're still hosting the contest for the best Priority One duty officer. 
For details on the contest, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO206. You can win 5,000 zen. And we can give you reasonable assurance (laughs) that what you buy with it won't be bound to your account. (laughs) So we've been talking. We've been talking. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's different <laughs> well folks you heard it here first tier 6 constitution uh, <laughs> will be coming as part of 5th anniversary designed by Thomas no, no, no. Elijah you want to take it from there and he's yes. AFK no no I'm here, <laughs> no, I'm here. <laughs> I had lowered my mic volume so it didn't pick up on my meowing cat I don't know. Well, that's our community question, Jace. Well, you you took it from me. Well, I was just okay. segueing you. Well, now what am I supposed to say? That's right. That is our second community question. That's right. That is our second community question now. <laughs> that's right, captains. I'm sorry. That's right, admirals. What what are you going? Jeez. Oh, See now you're making me ad lib. It's not a lockbox ship. It sounds. I think are it's going to sure? be the anniversary ship. Uh, so I'm not gonna uh, no, 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 no. We can speculate. I think it's 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 safe to speculate. We should speculate. Well, why don't you do that then? No, no you're you fine. Just do don't read what the, I put in parentheses. Yes. Just don't read it. You said don't. Not read what's it? in parentheses. Not the P.S. That was oh. to you. But now we're just saying it out loud. Whenever I try to do okay. anything subtly oh, while we're live you recording, did. you guys just blurt it all out. We didn't though this time. <laughs> we didn't read it. I know. I know. You see, this is what happens when I don't segue, and then you guys yell at me for segueing. No, I, I quit. The wrong window. We don't yell at you. We just make fun of you. You should be. <laughs> you just keep a stack of scrap paper next paper. to you. That's like today's mail. <laughs> He's like, oh crap, that was a bill. I need his wife. Yeah, that's. I was gonna say his wife is gonna come in and be like, "Where's the power bill?" <laughs> <laughs> And crystalline entity, you can't just nuzzle up into it anymore to avoid the shockwave. Because if you, it used to be where if you get within the one k, um, one. Why can't I just think of things right now? <laughs> it's like what is it? One k? Is it one k? One k? One k? Less than it's less than one k. Patreon, like other crowdfunding sites, is designed to give fans of a project the opportunity to support creators like us. But instead of just a one-time donation... Do me a favor, Patre- say but again, because you like went... But... <laughs> Do me a favor, say but again, because you like went... But... That feels weird. I guess it works.